So one night this week, I was sitting on the couch and took my glasses off. I put them right next to me, and well, then I got up to get some ice cream. When I came back, I flopped on the couch, and I heard a crunching sound. I got up quickly and immediately realized I had smashed my glasses, (laughs) my brand new glasses. In exasperation, I cried out, oh, no, (laughs) immediately I felt a combination of foolishness and futility. While seeing my slide into the depths of despair, uh, my wife Beth sweetly reminded me that it would be okay. I wasn't so sure. (laughs) You see, I was worried I wouldn't be able to see, so I pulled out some old glasses, some really old glasses, and put these glasses on, and things became blurry. On top of that, I got an immediate headache. (laughs) But it was better than going without. Hey, here's a question. Have you ever done anything that left you feeling really low? You're just like, why did I just do that? Or are you still upset in the present about what you've done in the past? And you're embarrassed about that? Do you get tired of of all of your transgressions, those words that come out of your mouth that end up hurting those you love, those behaviors, those attitudes. You just get sick and tired of yourself. Do you wish you could stop doing those things that you know are wrong? And do you long for the ability to start doing those things you know are right? I mean, do you wonder if you'll ever be able to find victory? Do you wonder if you'll ever be able to hope again? Some of you today are worried that God is somehow disappointed in you. And he's punishing you. On top of that, some of you are so racked with guilt and shame that you're beating yourself up as well. The Apostle Paul struggled with these kinds of questions when he found himself doing much more than smashing his glasses. Let's let's consider this autobiographical comment this statement where we get to look into what's going on in the apostle Paul's heart and my guess you'll be able to relate take your copy of the scriptures and open it up to the book of Romans we want to begin in Romans chapter 7 if you don't have a bible with you there's one located right in front of you if you don't own a bible please take that as our gift to you or many of you are comfortable using your mobile device we also have the bible app on our Edgewood app so Romans chapter 7 verse 18 for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
Any of you relate to that? And then notice what he writes, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, we're beginning a brand new series today that we're calling God is for you. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. This chapter will serve like new prescription lenses to help you see God and yourself clearly. This could be the most life-changing section of Scripture you will ever encounter. And so let me give you an action step right at the beginning. During the month of August, which starts tomorrow, read Romans chapter 8 every day of the month. And we'll see what God does in each of us individually and in us as a church because Romans 8 is truly great. Commentators describe this chapter as the mountain peak of Scripture. Douglas Moo refers to it as the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. Oh, there are so many reasons why so many people have benefited from this part of the Bible, but let's just pick three of them. Number one, assurance is emphasized. In what has been called a rhapsody on assurance, this chapter begins with these words. Uh, Join me in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Flip over to the very last verse. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Our Lord. Yeah, it opens with condemnation and it closes with no separation. And in between, you find no defeat. (laughs) The believer's standing is safe, secure, and settled. Second observation, the Holy Spirit is prominent. The third member of the Trinity is mentioned 19 times In this chapter, almost once every two verses. Up until this point in the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit appears by name only four times in chapters one through seven. Now, having said that, Romans 8 is not so much focused on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit as it is on what the Spirit does for the believer. The Holy Spirit's not a possession to hold on to. He's a person to love and obey. And God never intended for us to live the Christian life on our own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, oh, I'm praying that we get this today. Our practice as a Christian must come out of our position in Christ. You see, the Christian life is not focused on what we need to do, but on what has already been done for us. It's already been done. So we must always come back to our position in Christ before we can effectively put the Christian life into practice. 
Let me say it like this. It's all about what we receive, not about what we achieve in our own efforts. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and we're going to give attention and honor to God's word. We're going to read the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8 together. We like to remind ourselves when we read God's word of what we're doing here. This is an act of worship. Book of Isaiah, God says, the person who I look to is the one who trembles at my word. So we need to have reverence and great rejoicing because we serve a God who's revealed himself. We can know him and know his will for us through his word. His word is inspired. It is inerrant. It's infallible and it's authoritative. Let's worship now as we read together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh." in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace." For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You can be seated. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would be our teacher Holy Spirit, you are our comforter, our encourager, and now we pray that you would enable us to understand your word, that we might interpret it correctly, and then, Holy Spirit, would you apply your word to our lives, that we might think differently, that we might speak differently, that we might act differently, that our values would change, our worldview would line up with what you say in your word. Lord, as we're gathered here today, we think of Emma Janicek, who's worshiping with your church in Mexico, hearing your word in Spanish, singing songs of praise in Spanish. Uh, Lord, we also want to thank you for the impact, the fruit 
from the Belize trip. Lord, we pray for Pastor Nehru and the congregation today that you would encourage them by your spirit and those children who made decisions for you would go deep in their walk with you. Lord, continue to grow grow within our students and young adults what you have done in their lives up to this point. Lord, take them deep with you. And Lord, also we're mindful today while we gather here in air conditioning and comfortable seats uh, that a large part of your body, the Church International, is being persecuted today. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that they would persevere, that they'd be faithful, and that they would look for ways to share the life-changing message of the gospel. Lord, we look to you now and trust you. Thank you for what you're going to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's our main idea. Your position in Christ deals with the penalty of sin. And your practice with the Spirit deals with the power of sin. And we're going to use this statement as our outline since the first half of this comes right from verse 1 and the second half summarizes verses 2 through 11. So listen again with anticipation to verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word therefore serves to tie the preceding seven chapters with chapter 8 by serving as a link to everything Paul has already established. We could translate it like this. So then, consequently, so for the born-again believer, there is assurance there will be no judgment in the future, and we should experience this assurance right now in the present. Today, right now, there is no condemnation. If you are saved, then right now at this very moment, you are secure. 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, Jesus is returning, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. Speaking of the appearing of Christ, we're going to focus on living now in the light of forever at our prophecy conference that'll be held right here at Edgewood, September 16th through 18th. Featured speakers include Dr. Michael Radelnik from Moody Bible Institute and Dr. Ray Pritchard from Keep Believing Ministries. Well over 200 people have already registered for this. If you want to attend, go to edgewoodbaptist.net or sign up on our mobile app. You can also call the church office and do that. Now, let's go back to Romans 8, verse 1. In the sentence structure in Greek, the first word is an emphatic no. It almost explodes off the page. On top of that, the Apostle Paul uses a strong negation to show that there's absolutely nothing by way of condemnation for the Christian. Here's a literal translation, not even one, therefore now, no condemnation whatsoever. God now commends and doesn't condemn the Christian. 
Not even once, not even one bit, not now, not ever. The word condemn comes from two Greek words, one which means down, the other word meaning to judge. And so literally it means to judge down. It was used of the Roman emperor as he sat up on the throne when prisoners were brought before him. And as he heard their cases, he would either judge down or judge up. I wonder if that's where we get the thumbs up or thumbs down expression. Brothers and sisters, lock in. Some of you are pushing back already because you know the ugliness of your own heart. But get this. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your sacrificial substitute, the Almighty gives you a thumbs up today. He gives you a thumbs up. God won't judge down because he has sent Christ to come down. God has a gavel of grace for the believer. Now, this word was used for more than just the sentencing of a criminal. It also included the payment of a penalty after the sentencing. So get this. This is such good news. If you are in Christ... You have been pardoned, and you will never have to pay the penalty for your sins. God's judgment will not come down now or ever for the believer. Those in Christ will not be condemned because Jesus was condemned in our place. There is no impending punishment because Christ bore the penalty for our sins. Man, I hope you're worshiping right now and you're like, man, I don't deserve any of this. Exactly. It's all by his grace. Now, here's an important truth to remember. When God says no condemnation, it's not based upon our performance. It's based upon our position in Christ. God declares it to be so because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. He doesn't revoke it when we rebel, nor does he suddenly seethe with anger toward us when we sin. All of this reminds me of the words to my favorite hymn, And Can It Be, written by Charles Wesley. This last verse could have come right from Romans chapter 8. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. (laughs) Now, this promise of no condemnation is available for everyone, but... It's applied only to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases. He uses the phrase in Christ 164 times in his writings. Raylan Wilburn nails it when he writes, God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ, and that is always 100%. To be a Christian is to be 
in Christ. Work with me on a thought. If you're saved, you're always in two locations at the same time. So right now, those of us in the worship center, we're here and we're in Christ. If you're engaging online, maybe you're at home. And if you know Jesus, you're in Christ. When you go to work, you're at work and you're in Christ. When you go to school, you're on campus or homeschooled and you're in Christ. But you can be in church and be lost. You can be in a good family and be lost. You can be a good neighbor and be lost. But if you are in Christ, you are commended and you'll never be condemned. Now, let me see if I can put into words what some of you are thinking. Some of us think this is way too good to be true. Because you're like, ah, it's not true for me. I mean, just think of the world around us. We live in a sin-soaked world. It's filled with sickness and disappointment and broken glasses and pain and agony. And on top of that, it's the stuff within our own wicked hearts. And, and so we're condemning ourselves. Others condemn us with their words and their things they say and the attitudes they give off toward us. And so we feel condemned wherever we turn. In fact, I wonder if some of you have rewritten this verse. Maybe for you it reads something like this. There's therefore now a little condemnation for me. Others of you have written it this way. There is therefore now a lot of condemnation. And that condemnation is taking you out of the Christian race. You're so filled with guilt and shame that you're like, I'm not worthy and you're just out. Friends, get this truth. If you have repented and received Christ, I'm trying to think of all the different ways I can say this because so many of us push back on it. If you have repented and received Christ, God is giving you a thumbs up because of what Jesus has done for you. Let me say it like this. There is literally nothing you could do right now that would make God love you any more than he already does. And there is nothing you could do that would make him love you any less. I appreciate what Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from a different generation, probably my favorite preacher, check out what he said when preaching on this passage. Oh, for faith to lay hold on this. This is where we're at now. Oh, for an overpowering faith that shall get the victory over doubts and fears and make us enjoy the liberty with which Christ makes men free. You that believe in Christ, go to your beds this night and say, if I die in my bed, I cannot be condemned. Should you wake the next morning, go into the world and say, I am not condemned. When the devil howls at you, tell him 
you may accuse, but I am not condemned. If you are in Christ, revel in the fact God commends you. But listen, if you are outside of Christ, you are condemned already. And judgment is still in front of you. Oh, would you repent of your sins and receive the free gift offered to you by Jesus Christ who died in your place and rose again on the third day. Your position in Christ deals with the penalty of sin and your practice with the Spirit deals with the power of sin. So beginning in verse 2, we see how to live all this out. I see three ways that we can put this position into practice. Three ways. Number one, focus on what the Holy Spirit has done. Observe with me in verse two, the freedom that is ours for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The word for tells us the reason why believers have no condemnation. We are set free from the domination of sin and were delivered from death through Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said victoriously in John 8:32? He said, "And you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free." <laughs> I'm not condemned for my sin. I'm not constrained to sin. And would you notice next I'm also not charged with my sin, forgiveness. See, God knew the law was unable, the Old Testament law was unable to save us. So out of love, he sent his own son as the sin offering. Oh, meet me in verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. (laughs) We can never be condemned for our sins. Here's why. Because the price has already been paid for them. God condemned the sin, not the sinner, because he sent the Savior to take our sin, to take our punishment when he died in our place. We could say it like this. What the law could not do, the lamb did for us. Notice next, fulfillment. Because Jesus is our sin offering, all of God's righteous requirements. This is a mind blow. All of God's righteous requirements have been fulfilled in us. (laughs) Well, that's what verse 4 says. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're no longer to be dominated by sin, but to be delivered by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Have you ever tried to live the Christian life in your own strength, in your own power? Have you ever tried to stop sinning just in your own willpower? Doesn't work, does it? Remember Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
So the Holy Spirit enables us to live out who we are in Christ by focusing on what God the Father has done for us. All three members of the Trinity involved. The key to victory is to focus on who we are in Christ. So let me ask a question. You don't have to answer it out loud. Do you know who you are? No, not your name. No, not what you do. Because you are not what you do. You're also not what you are doing. You're also not what you have done. And some of you have experienced horrific things in your past done to you. You are not what's been done to you. Last weekend, Pastor Dan reminded us of this truth. Your identity is in what Christ has done for you. Now, that was so powerful last weekend, I asked Dave Bennett to pull out a two-minute clip of Pastor Dan sharing about the importance of our identity in Christ. Let's watch and listen. Dan, one of the things that really impacts me is how you identify yourself and how anybody does. I heard Amanda Hodge the other night, Friday night, uh, the way she introduced herself. Uh, tell us about that. How do you introduce yourself, and why is it so important to do it the way you do? Uh, I would introduce myself. I am Dan Cullett. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have found freedom from alcohol, not because I all of a sudden have self-control. I just don't touch it. I leave it alone. And I am currently struggling with PTSD and the anxiety and worry uh, that come with that. And it's so important because if you're here today and you have put your faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, your identity is in him. Mm. Your identity is no longer in what you do or are doing or have done. It is in what Jesus Christ has done for you. You're a blood-bought child of God. And so it's nice and just fills you full of courage to admit that. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and that reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6.11, which says, and such were some of you. And if you were to look back at verse 9 and 10, it goes through a list of sins like thievery, um, re- revelry, alcohol, homosexuality, um, just a long list of that. And it says, and such were some of you, but you, but no more. You have been washed by the blood. You have been washed and sanctified, washed and justified. And so the minute we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our past no longer has a hold on us. Amen. And it's great to admit that. Pastor Dan is back. Um, Good love, man. Don't make me cry. (laughs) 
Uh, I wanted to show you that clip because that was from the 9 o'clock service where uh, people just stood up. Uh, some of you are here for the first time. Some of you were at Celebrate Recovery Friday night, and you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. Pastor Dan is our pastor who oversees Celebrate Recovery and our missions program. The reason we highlighted that, he has been very sick. Uh, he had meningitis twice. He had a tumor removed from his sinus area, was in the hospital a long time. So when I said he's back, he is back all to the glory of God. Listen. What you do doesn't determine who you are. Who you are determines what you do. Therefore, you are who Christ says you are. So if you are in Christ through the new birth, you have a new identity. Many years ago, I read a book called The Bondage Breaker, written by Neil Anderson, and I noticed just recently, he took some truths from that book and put them in a brand new book. The name of that book is called Identity in Christ. And I want to go over some statements of truth, statements of scripture that deal with our identity. Before I do, let me tell you ahead of time that we have copies available out at the Welcome Center and at the Resource Centers because as I go through this, you're going to be thinking, man, I need to get a copy of that and go over that. If you use the Edgewood sermon notes that you pick up before the service, or maybe you get those by email if you're on the list, it's on the back of that list. So if you are in Christ, I am accepted. I am God's child. I am a friend of Jesus Christ. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord. I have been bought with a price and belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace. Is that good news, church? I'm not done. Let's keep going. I am secure. I am free from condemnation. I am assured God works for my good in all circumstances. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident God will complete the good work he started. I am a citizen of heaven. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. Oh, there's more. I am significant. I am a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine and a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation. Get this truth. I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Marie, for making uh, the copies out there. Let me give you another action step. So action step number one, read Romans 8 every day for the month of August. Here's the second action step. Pick up a copy of this and look up each statement and then look up each verse reference, reading it in context and worship your way through this as you contemplate who you are in Christ. There's a second charge from this passage, and that's to think about your thoughts. 
We need to get hold of our thoughts before they get hold of us. Let me just make an observation. You can see it five times in these verses. You see the word mine. Have you heard the expression garbage in? Garbage out? So when we open the gate, and some of us have the gate wide open, for garbage to come into our minds, rancid refuse will come out. If we allow godly thoughts in, godly behavior follows. Proverbs 4.23 in the King James says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That means we are what we think. I talked to a guy recently and he said that he must listen to Moody Radio because if he doesn't, his mind fills up with destructive thoughts. Right now, you have a whole series of thoughts flowing through your mind. Some of you have like a racetrack in your mind. They're just flying in and out. Some of you are wondering when the sermon's going to end. It'll be soon. (laughs) In fact, your thoughts are flowing faster than the Packers pouring through the porous offensive line of the Bears. (laughs) Can you tell uh, football season's coming? So let me say this, though, and you might want to lean in because you also might push back, but... See, too many of us just allow thoughts to come in without thinking about what we allow ourselves to think about. You're just taking them in, and they're in there. They're renting space in your head. And some of you are exposing yourself to garbage. Stuff you're looking at, stuff you're seeing, friends you hang with. Friends, we're called to set our minds on the Spirit. So remember this truth You are in a fierce battle right now. One commentator quipped, each of us, in effect, is a walking civil war. Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Write this down. Satan does not fight fair. So you better be prepared. Now, here's one way to do that. Capture every thought you have and analyze it. For some of us, that's a brand new thought. But here's why that's so important. Satan has declared war on you, and the battlefield is in your mind. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us to be vigilant. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. But what's that look like? Well, this is hard work, but that's what we're called to do, Right? See, if we're just passive and just stumbling through life, our mind's going to be filled with destructive stuff. So here's what it means. Don't let any thought in without capturing it and considering that thought first. 
If it's a good thought, let it in. If not, demolish it with the truth of God's word. We also see in this passage the importance of submitting to the Spirit's control. That's verses 9 through 11, and we'll flesh that out next weekend. Now, I am so thankful to be part of a church which believes Jesus is the only way and trusts the Holy Spirit to give life, aren't you? I mean, this past week, our Belize team took our vacation Bible school program that they led here and went international with it as they shared Jesus with hundreds of kids. I just saw on Pastor Nehru's Facebook page and confirmed this with Chris. So the materials that were used here were taken to Belize Pastor Nehru took those materials across the border into Mexico, and there were pictures on Facebook of these kids using the same material that was used here. I love that. You know, yeah, praise God for that. You know why we do Vacation Bible School is to communicate the gospel in a way that children can understand. And that is very powerful when put to song. Here are the lyrics to one of the songs they taught. Uh, Beth and I hear our neighbor kids singing it. So many roads won't take you there. So many paths to who knows where. There's only one way, my friend. Tell the Lord you're going to trust in him one way to life everlasting. One way, because this world is passing. One way through Jesus and your new life begins. Turn and walk away from your sin. Tell the Lord you're going to trust in him. Now, the backstory to this picture, many of you know it, but they're in a facility here that was constructed by 10 Edgewood men who went down during the month of March and built that. What a joy to be able to see the gospel presented in that facility, a picture of the generations working together to bring Jesus to our neighbors and the nations. Galatians 5.16 tells us how to put our position into practice, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, the issue is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. No, when you were saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit. Here's the issue, allowing him to have more of you. We'll learn more about that as we go through this chapter. Your position in Christ deals with the penalty of sin and your practice with the Spirit deals with the power of sin. So when I took my glasses in to get fixed this week, I was feeling pretty low. When the technician came over, she asked how she could help and I told her I had a really big problem and I needed lots of help. (laughs) She jokingly said she wasn't a trained counselor. (laughs) So I hung my head and I explained how I had foolishly sat on my glasses. She looked at me, she looked at my glasses, she smiled and she said these words, no problem, I can fix it. She went in the back, returned within five minutes with them completely fixed, I'm wearing them now. I quickly took off my old glasses, put the repaired ones back on, I can see clearly again. Question. Do you need to put on a different pair of glasses and start looking at God through the lens of Scripture 
and start looking at who you are in Christ through a different pair of glasses so you can savor Christ more dearly and celebrate your position in Christ.